Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Ugh, I hate tacky weddings. Me too. Literally, I can't even believe they're getting married, to be honest with you. Look, I give it six months, and then they're both right back on Grinder. Now, Maddie, we shouldn't judge. No, I, I'm not judging. I, I read their tarot spread last night, and that's what the cards told me. Uh, I, I'm not really sure how Ket would feel about that. Hey, the cards say what they say. Oh, Maddie, it's episode 94. Weddings are terrifying. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message to save America, stop socialism, and stop China. Stay the fire, we honor thee from life to death. Doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. No one like you left. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Yeah! Let's go! What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes, that is better. And a big surprise today for one Channel 8 Eyewitness News reporter when her longtime boyfriend showed up to propose to her. I love you. Oh Will you marry me? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. <laughs> Welcome to episode 94 of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. My name is Andrew. And my name is Maddie. And we are the podcast that talks all about horror, horror in real life, and horror in the media. And today, we are tackling the age-old problem or solution of getting married and talking all about those bridezillas and groomzillas that come along with your day of nuptials. So, Maddie, <laughs> are you ready to are you ready to tie the knot? With some horror today, you've been ready to say that all all week long, haven't you? Tie the <laughs> knot with horror. Um, yes, I'm always ready to tie the knot with horror, um, and I'm ready to tie the knot in general. Look, I uh, I love weddings, I really do. Um, I think the weddings are a really fantastic time. I've been to God knows how many weddings. I've been a part of God knows how many weddings. Haven't had my own wedding yet, but look, you know, maybe one day. You never know. Maybe one day soon. And uh, yeah, so it'll be fun to talk about. We've got some good films lined up for you folks. Uh, we're talking about uh, Bride of Chucky and Ready or Not. I honestly can't think of a better double feature for this particular topic. So that's going to be cool. Thank but as you. always, Andrew, <laughs> we're going to start with the certified terrifying corner. So Great. the first one here is um, talking about something that just happened uh, this this last this last week. And we're recording on the 12th of March, the Sunday. It's Oscar Sunday, actually. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that during what you've been watching, bitch. Um, but on Friday, um, what is that, the 10th of March, Silicon Valley Bank, 
which is a bank in California and go figure, Silicon Valley, um, was seized by the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, after the biggest bank failure since 2008. Um, stock market is plunging. Dark times are ahead. Um, if you don't know much about Silicon Valley Bank, it is largely a VC bank. Um, a lot of the money there was not secured by like the FDIC, right? So what that means, like, you know, all of us normal people, our money is in banks where like it's it's secured. If if for whatever reason the bank goes goes bust, the the federal government will secure your your money and and get and will give it back to you, right? Maybe not 100 percent but you'll you'll get you know a lot of it back. That's not the case with this kind of bank. So here's the problem with it, if you're wondering where we're going here. Um, a lot of companies, like tech companies, that, that's primarily who's going to have their money in, in a place like this, they've lost a lot of their capital. And already, from what I understand from hearing on the inside here, already people are very concerned that on Monday, because um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be the middle of the month, right, that payroll is not going to hit for a lot of normal people um, and just sort of a cascade of other problems down the line. So this is a pretty big issue. Um, it'll be really, really weird to see where this goes next week. Yeah, I don't I don't know much about this, to be honest. I, I had heard some stuff about it, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this um, I, I don't know why this was an FDIC uh, approved bank and why yeah. people put their money there but yeah right there, there there are there are some places where you can sign an agreement you know to, to not have it be that way because it's just like cheaper to do business yeah um, but this is where those kind of bets get you you know what's interesting about this is is you know look the government is going to bail out the bank because there are it is such a gigantic part of the market share and so many companies rely on this particular bank yeah so we're going to bail out yet another bank but when it comes to stuff like student loans, mm, that's in jeopardy. Or when it comes to stuff like, I don't know, helping people like, you know, with housing insecurity, that's not going so well. There's so many things that like America could be paying for, but we're going to be bailing out yet another bank. Isn't that interesting? Um, <laughs> over here in Europe, uh, a shooter in Hamburg, Germany, murdered six people last week in a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. Others were seriously injured, and the shooter ended up killing himself. Um, you know, it's a good reminder that it, it, it happens in other places besides just America. And, um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are often the butt of a lot of jokes, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you, if you don't know who Jehovah's Witnesses are, folks, which I, I can't believe that you wouldn't, but just in case, those are folks, you know, sort of like Mormons in the way that they knock on your door and they want to have a chat with you kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, if you grew up in a certain time that you had one knock it, on your door at exactly. some point in your life. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, it's a very, very particular sect of Christianity. Actually, if you didn't know this, Prince was actually a Jehovah's Witness. How about that? Um, and they have a very particular way of doing things. Anyways, they, they are bigger in Europe than you might guess, believe it or not, um, especially in Germany, where um, actually Jehovah's Witnesses were targeted by Hitler and his regime. Another little part of the Holocaust um, that, that history doesn't always talk very much about. Anyways, really sad story. I mean, it's, it's sad when there's ever a, a shooting of, of even just one person. But um, in a place like Hamburg, a mass shooting of six people is a really big impact. So a, a really sad story out of Germany. Yeah, I. When will we learn? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. You know, it, I, it's it, there's some strange, weird comfort 
in that it doesn't just happen in America, if you know what I yeah. mean. No, and, no, and I get that. Yeah, I get it's, it. it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing to say, but it's like it's 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 somewhat comforting to know that like there isn't just there isn't just like localized insanity. Like, you know, humans in general are actually pretty fucked up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That so, that's the yeah. issue is that we don't take care of our mental health and the mental health of others. Girl. And it just little little literally takes people down that way. So amen, baby. So look, that's a certified <sighs> terrifying corner, keeping that one light today. Now on to other terrifying things like getting married. So let's talk about wedding, about weddings, Andrew. Um, first of all, you have some stats on what an average wedding costs these days. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, as of 2022, uh, these statistics are from uh, the average cost of a wedding is about $30,000. To keep that in perspective, the average income in America is $31,500. So basically, they're telling you, you need to work an entire year uh, to just afford one day of celebration. The uh, the wedding industry pulls in about $57 billion. Yes, I said billion dollars. <laughs> My God. Um, and as of 2021, there are about 1,934,982 sanctioned weddings because I'm Jesus. sure that there are a lot of promise ceremonies and outside of uh, government weddings celebrations that were based you know what i'm you know what i'm trying yeah, to say like sure, not sure, everyone sure. gets married in the traditional way um but that was just like what the government tracked from last wow. year um I, it's I, kind I, of I insane that the the average cost in ireland is thirty six thousand euro so so not not About too far not too yeah. far away from the american average i i remember hearing a few years back that the average cost of a wedding in chicago was sixty five thousand Jesus Christ. That well that I can tell you that's why we didn't get married in Chicago. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Amen. No, I can tell you from my own personal experience of of planning and, and doing a wedding in a I, I would say a little bit of a non-traditional way, the way we did it. Um we were looking in Chicago, uh, but just to rent a venue and have like tables and chairs, it was like 10 grand. And it was oh, just yeah, like for sure. I, I don't know how to justify that cost. I, listen, I'm not a cheapskate, but I am frugal. Like I, I do like to know my money is going towards something meaningful and yeah, specific. Sure. And so that was really hard for me to kind of like put my credit card down and and you know do that thing. So we ended up doing it in Michigan, where it was a lot cheaper. Um, what I will say is everyone thinks that their wedding is the most unique and that's kind of where I'll, (laughs) that's where I'll kind of leave it because I feel like everyone tries to out unique everyone in the wedding situation. Of course. Um, and I, 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 all I'll say about our wedding is I was just very appreciative of all the people that helped, uh, kind of put it together because it was Uh. definitely a group, it was definitely a group effort and, uh, it was really fun. I think everyone had a great weekend. Oh, it was um, so much fun. My God. But yeah, we did it a little differently than most people. Um, I don't remember exactly how much we spent, but it definitely was not anywhere near $30,000. Yeah. So, you know, there was a time when I was going to get married, which, you know, I've said that story before. It doesn't really matter. But um, when I was going to get married, um, the venue that I had chosen was a place called Camp Wandawiga. It's in Wisconsin and in, in Elkhorn. And really cool, sort of like a Wes Anderson style, like camp by this lake, of course, uh, you know, Lake Wandawiga. Very and, salute your shorts, if you will. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And like, what, what what was cool about it is that like you could you could rent out the entire camp, and then you could have you know people stay there in like the in there, there's like they they had rooms and there was this and they had like tents and they had everything. It was really really cool. 
And for everything for that, I think it was going to be like 10,000, I'm pretty sure. And so I kind of figured like, well, with like, you know, alcohol and food and like, you know, vendors and that kind of stuff, kind of figured it would be like another 10,000. So maybe, maybe it would have been 20,000 somewhere in there. All that being said, look, I'm just glad I never did it because that would have been a complete waste of money with that person. Um, But I've thought about it, you know, since then, like, you know, what would I do now if I wanted to get married? And, you know, not entirely sure. I just know that I would want to keep it really simple. Yeah. Really simple. Not a ton of people like, you know, do it the way that I want to do it and definitely not spend any more than like 5,000 max, absolute max, 10,000 for sure. Yeah. No, it's just like one of those things like um, I'm really happy we did what we did. But like at the end of the day, gosh, that was a lot. It was just like it, it, it puts you it puts you in a financial situation. And listen, by all means, I think we spent eleven thousand dollars on our way. Like I yeah, it was sure. not a lot of money, but um, it puts you in a financial strain for so many years after that. Yeah, you're just like, why did we do that? I mean, you're really happy the day of, and I'm glad we we did what we did, and we uh, brought all of our friends, and they didn't have to drop a dime on anything. Yeah, like, they sure. literally came for a whole weekend, and it was awesome. But like, you just look back, and you're like, damn. Well, now we got to work for like five more years to pay this all <laughs> off. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. You know, it, look, it's it's a big thing, and you know, people are going to do what they what, what you know whatever they want to do. Uh, you know, if, if a lot of people are lucky enough that they have their parents pay for it outright, which yeah. if you are, you know, look good for you. Um, but you know, for most of us, we don't have that. Right, and um, you know, you got to make you got to make the judgment as uh, as you as you see fit. Yeah, I, I just I think like the biggest thing for me is I hate the pressure that mostly mostly women, if I'll be honest, are are put under for weddings. Yeah, and like same. Um, like the amount of pressure that they feel to put on like such traditional wedding with a a meal and with all the dancing and you got to have this, and you got to have the photo booth, and you got to have the flowers, and you got to have like. It's just, it's all made up. Like it's all made up. All, all the pressure is. is so made up. Yeah, um, you, you know, one one of the things that I've that I've done that I I've I've had a lot of fun with in my life is I've officiated many weddings. Yeah, and I've I've done it. I've done it for mostly friends, but um, it's it's a it's a great time. I love to do it. I usually do it as a gift to the people that I'm doing it for. And like part of it is like, you know, if, if I was your officiant, I'm not just like cookie cutter kind of thing. Like I will meet with you over a series of, of sessions with you, you and your partner. And I'll talk to you about like, you know, the basic shit. Like, you know, why, why are you getting married? Tell me about how you met. Tell me everything that you want me to know. You know, are, are, is there any like literature that's really important to you or this or that or whatever. Right. And then I, I craft a wedding ceremony that's sort of built just for you. And, and then I, and then I do it. Um, but one of the things I like to do when I'm doing that in that process is I like to remind the couples that like, you are empowered to do whatever you want with me. Right. So like, yeah, if you want to have this reading, if you want to have that prayer, if you want to have this poem, if you want that person to talk, if you want to say this, if you want that song, like I'm all for it and I'm here to help you put it together so that it makes sense and that we can do it. And that furthermore, like, that's how you should think about the rest of your wedding. Like you should do whatever you want to do and not just do it because you think like this dumb TV show is telling you that like, this is what it has to be or everyone's going to think that you're like an idiot. I just, I, I just don't buy into that at all. Yeah. One of the most destructive TV shows that I've ever uh, sunk in my brain into is this uh, TLC show, which 
for people that don't know TLC is a, a channel that I call terrible life choices. <laughs> um, and they have a show on there. I don't think it's on anymore, but it used to be on and it was, it was called four weddings. Oh God. And I don't know if you know, I don't know if you've watched this show. I have or not, no, but it sounds awful already. So it's uh, four separate brides. Uh, it's always women. Um, and they all sign up to go to each other's weddings. And uh, they go there. They all go to each other's weddings and they grade their weddings on a scale of like one to ten. Or this, whatever. Is, this is not good already. This is not yeah. good. And basically what it is, is the other three women that are not getting married are pretty much just tearing down the woman and oh, the, the ceremony that's happening while they're getting married. And then when they come to see like, oh, hi, they're like, oh, my gosh, such a good wedding. It's it's so destructive and so demoralizing and so um, just not a good function of human beings. <laughs> that's to really watch. not good people and then whoever gets the most points at the end i think it's like based on food venue dress and overall uh like good time like those are the scores that you that you get and then whoever wins at the end gets a honeymoon vacation to somewhere but it is just watching these women like can you imagine and i'm sure that tlc pays for some of your wedding to, to be on the show or whatever so maybe you you get some kickback from that but like can you imagine like inviting someone to judge your wedding on that day <laughs> like not like going back and like watching footage like of your wedding and judging it but oh, like, yeah. actually being there and like having it th- it's like having your manager at your wedding <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> like, i mean like the the reality is that everyone judges weddings you yeah, know yeah, like ev- everyone's gonna go and say what they're gonna say and you know they're gonna walk away going i can't believe but they that's did what i mean about the whatever. pressure that's what i mean oh, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the pressure the pressure is huge I, you know at the, at the end of the day what i think is this like as long as you're putting on an event where your wedding is central like where where i should say this where your marriage is central like yeah. because what else are people there for that day like yeah the, the main point is seeing you get married that's the whole fucking point of it and then everything else, you know, just keep your guests at the, you know, primary, you know, um, at, at the forefront of, of how yeah. you look at of how you look at planning. That, that's how the I w- see it. The way that we looked at it is the ceremony is for the couple and the reception is for the guests. Like that's kind of like was our mentality about like, hey, how can we m- make this fun for everybody? So that was like kind of what we thought about. But that makes that makes total sense. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about gay marriage? Yeah, well, because... well I, I think it's important when we're talking about, you know, weddings and, and marriage and, and all the rest. Like, we, we have to remember where we've been. Yeah. And so, you know, this year is, of course, 2023. And in 2015, that is when Obergefell v. Hodges was um, was executed by, by the Supreme Court. So it's been almost eight years. It'll be eight years in June that the Supreme Court finally codified same-sex marriage as being legal in the United States, um, the the way that the um, the ruling closed when when the justices wrote it all out is pretty moving, I will say. Um, and <clears throat> pardon me, Justice Anthony Kennedy he wrote the the majority opinion, and he ended the um, the opinion like this: No union is more profound than marriage, for it 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 embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than once they were. As some of the petitioners in these cases demonstrate, marriage embodies a love that may endure even past death. We'll talk more about that. It would misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it 
respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. Really, in terms of SCOTUS rulings, pretty incredible the way that the way that he wrote that. Um, and if you don't remember what the facts of that case really were, um, because it's it's difficult to remember what all the particulars are, right? Uh, Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee, uh, def- all, they all defined marriage as a union between one man and one woman. So 14 same-sex couples and two men whose same-sex partners were deceased filed suits in federal district courts denying them the right to marry or to have marriages lawfully performed in another state given full recognition. Each district court ruled in the petitioner's favor, but the Sixth Circuit consolidated the cases and reversed. So the issue with this was, did the state uh, did the state officials, pardon me, violate the 14th Amendment by denying same-sex couples the right to marry? So in the end, the conclusion from the court was this. The court held, and this is all from LexisNexis, by the way, the court held that under the due process and equal protection clauses of the 14th Amendment, same-sex couples have a fundamental right to marry. The laws of Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee were all held invalid to the extent that they excluded same-sex couples from civil marriage on the same terms and conditions as opposite-sex couples. Because same-sex couples can exercise the fundamental right to marry in all states, it follows that there is no lawful basis for a state to refuse to recognize a lawful same-sex marriage performed in in another state on the ground of its same-sex character. The court reversed the judgment of the Sixth Circuit, and that's how marriage all across America came to be legal. So really pretty incredible stuff. Um, But there's one, uh, you know, look, all of the petitioners in the case, all of the 14 different couples, um, they all have their own unique story. But the man whose whose name is is at the very forefront of this case, Jim Jim Obergefell, um, was really pretty interesting. And so I thought I'd tell you a little bit about him because you might not know very much about him and about his partner. Sure. Um, so this is an article from the Washington Post. It's actually from 2015, and it's actually from just before the ruling came out. So I think this article was from like April 2015. Um, and uh, it starts off like this. Jim Obergefell cannot fathom hearing his name mentioned alongside Brown or Roe, of course, two other very famous cases. Um, for one thing, he knows he knows that people will mispronounce his name. It's pronounced Obergefell. And he never wanted to be the face of a movement or a legal groundbreaker. I'm just Jim, he said. I just stood up for our marriage. It was not a long marriage, just three months and 11 days. The time it took his husband, John Arthur, to struggle to say, I thee wed, and then die from ALS. Now their union and the 20-year relationship that preceded it is at the center of a Bergefell v. Hodges, the title case of four consolidated appeals the Supreme Court heard, of course, then. And for Obergefell, the case is simply about that tricky-to-pronounce name. He wants it on Arthur's death certificate as the surviving spouse, an idea the state of Ohio, where same-sex marriage is illegal, opposes. So should Obergefell win, we know that he did, history books will probably take a more expansive view of his quest. So how Obergefell, a soft-spoken real estate broker with, a, with little previous interest in political activism, wound up in the spot is a story of judicial chance but it's also about resolve, fate, and heartbreak. On one level, I get it, he said, and this is when he was sitting next to his, his attorney in a downtown office tower. 
but it hasn't sunk in on an emotional level. I get it, but I don't. And walking around Cincinnati, Obergefell gets greeted with spontaneous hugs and people thank him. They wish him good luck. And as the hearing approached, Obergefell really found himself emerging as a national public figure. I mean, the HRC was flying him around, you know, this and that. He was, he was in all the newspapers, all of it. Um, and when, uh, when the Defense of Marriage Act got struck down in 2013, this was just before this ruling, and that was, uh, that was Windsor v. United States, um, Obergefell saw the news online. He leaned over and he kissed his partner, Arthur. And he said, let's get married. And Arthur said, okay. Their wedding was a production. Obviously, they needed to travel to a different state. They chose Maryland on a friend's suggestion. But how were they going to get there? A car trip was out, and a medical flight was their only option. But how could they arrange one, much less come up with the $13,000 to pay for it? So Obergefell went on Facebook, and he sought advice. And their friends and family offered more than guidance. They offered them cash, and they sent them money via PayPal, funding the entire trip. And so on the morning of July 11th, 2013, an ambulance transported them to the airport where they boarded a medical jet with a nurse and Arthur's aunt, Paulette Roberts, who became ordained online to perform weddings. They flew to Baltimore, Washington International Marshall Airport. Roberts began, began the ceremony on the tarmac in the plane shortly after landing. The couple held hands, Obergefell's thumb rubbing Arthur's. They stared into each other's eyes. Oh, I'm going to start crying, sorry. Um, with this ring, said Obergefell, slipping a ring on Arthur's hand, Ivy wed. Then he gently helped Arthur guide a ring onto his own hand. With this ring, said Arthur, <clears throat> his speech distorted by ALS, Ivy wed. And then they kissed, husband and husband. If marriage vows mean anything, Roberts later said, then those two men were more married than anyone I had ever known. So look, there's a lot to that article if you want to go read it further. Um, it's called, um, let me go back to the title here, it's called How Jim Obergefell Became the Face of the Supreme Court Gay Marriage Case. It's really emotional, as you just heard in my voice there, um, because it's really not even about, um, you know, for them anyway, not about a couple living but somebody who loved his partner so much that even after he was dead, he wanted to be sure that his name would be on the certificate as the surviving partner. And can you imagine the depravity of a state like Ohio denying him that right? Like, yeah. isn't that just absolutely insane? And to think that that was only 10 years ago, 2013, 12, that's not 12, 10 years ago. And it's wild to think about how far we've come since then. Yeah, it is insane. Um, I know, and I know that we've both talked about this before, but like, I think growing up and then, you know, figuring out sexuality and like going through all of that, I think also came with kind of like the the head hang that was yeah. like, well, now I'll never get married. Like that was just... Right. sure. The In the time that we grew up, that was just, if you came out as gay or if you were a lesbian or, you know, if you, if you had a same-sex couple... You just knew, like, okay, well, I guess we can get domestic partnership, or yeah, like, right. hey, we'll, tr I mean, we'll try to figure out how we protect each other. Like, God forbid, one of us goes in the hospital, and sure. we need to like, go visit each other, or support each other, or life insurance, or literally anything, anything. that comes anything. along right. with yeah. with the government and with the law and how they how they see couples. I think that in, in and this is something that. I struggled with like early on in, in relationships in coming out is like, even if I am in a couple, I can't be a couple. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Like right, it was sure. like a weird thing because like we couldn't get married and 
I think that people of our age, and you know, Maddie's 40, I'm 38, I think that we both kind of just hung up our coats and said, well, like, maybe that's just not for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, I do. And, and the fact that it happened in, in 2015 was just, I, I think we all were kind of flabbergasted that it actually happened. With, with, I mean, I, with, without a doubt. And, you know, like, I think it's, I think it's really important to, I think it's important for queer people to know our history. Yeah, and, for sure. You know, to, to not just let these things happen, um, but to go in and read them and, you know, and, and to learn the stories of people like Edie Windsor from 2013 or people like Jim Obergefell from 2015 and learn about the reasons why they did what they did. And there's something just, I mean, look, as somebody, I, I haven't been through a Supreme Court case, um, but I have been through a discrimination lawsuit where I was plaintiff. And I can tell you after six years of litigation, it it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was absolutely, it was terrifying and it was enthralling and it was all worth it. But my God, it was hard. And I can't imagine, I cannot fathom what it would be like to have to do that on that stage, on that national stage where your life is just out in the open completely. And I think it's important to talk about somebody like Jim, Jim Obergefell because he's a hero for doing that. Like truly, that that is something heroic to put your entire life out there and to do it, you know, yeah, because you love, you know, you, you love your person and, and whatever the circumstances are around that, but also knowing that the action that you are taking could be helping millions of people for, you know, for, 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 for the rest of time. And there's something really beautiful and heroic about that. I agree. Uh, but we're too busy dancing on TikTok to, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> to, right. to read these things. Um, but, but um, all right. So before we close out the, the, the wedding and horror in real life, I do want to talk a little bit about the Zillas, the yeah, bridezillas, the groomzillas, the people that are under such intense pressure that they take it out on other people. And that's the way I'm going to propose this because some of these things are just so insane. <laughs> Um, but, uh, there, I have a couple of ones here, um, where they maybe took their wedding a little too far. Um, there, the first one I'm going to talk about is guests were told how to dress according to their weight. Um, no way. In a post, yeah, this in a post on Reddit, uh, user insane people on FB. So Facebook, uh, that's their handle posted a screenshot of one bride's wardrobe requirements for guests for her wedding. Held in Hawaii in 2019, these included women weighing between 100 and 160 pounds wearing a green velvet. Okay, keep in mind, listen to these requirements. This the the most ridiculous. <laughs> not, not even the, the scope of the weight thing is one thing, but listen to what they actually had to weigh, wear. Um, between 100 and 160 pounds, they were forced to wear a green velvet sweater, orange suede pants red-heeled Christian Louis Vuitton shoes and a Burberry scarf. Men who, who weigh between 100 and 200 pounds were told to wear a purple fuzzy jacket, soda hat, all white trainers, and plain glow sticks. <laughs> so just think uh, about that as, as somebody who has been to Hawaii 10 times. You don't wear velvet? Who the fuck <laughs> wears velvet in Hawaii? Yeah. So and then so that's just for that weight class. Then there's a whole nother weight class. Women weighing more than 160 pounds were instructed to wear a black sweater and pants as well as black shoes. Men weighing more than 200 pounds were supposed to wear black sneakers and 
and camouflage. What? Camouflage? (laughs) Oh, and she also stipulated that guests should spend at least $1,000 on their wedding outfit. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. Do you know where this person is from? No, I mean, they just said they got married in Hawaii. So obviously, probably American, I'm assuming. That is that is absolutely absurd. That sounds like that. It to, listen. I'm not gonna I, listen. I am gonna. I, it's probably somebody from California, from LA. But, <laughs> uh, but the next one is uh, the uh, woman was asked to cover up her tattoos and dye her hair. Um, another bride even took to the step further by asking a particular guest to cover her tattoos and dye her hair black to a natural color, even though she wasn't even a bridesmaid. Uh, she said, quote, it doesn't matter if you're not in the wedding party, you're still in the photos and you will ruin them. Oh the bride to be wrote in a text message shared via screenshot by the Daily Mail, quote, you're a pretty, God, this is so awful. You're very pretty normally, but your look doesn't work for my wedding. And it is very fair to ask you to do something simple so that my day is perfect. That is, that that's truly unhinged. Yeah. All right. We want to talk about unhinged. Do you want to talk about the woman that married the Eiffel Tower? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> this is actually happening. Back in 2008, a woman who falls in love with an inanimate object decided to marry her one true love, the Eiffel Tower. She also took the tower's name, going by Erica Latour Eiffel, <laughs> reported uh, by the Telegraph. I, I, I just don't even know what to do with this. She, uh, she pledged to love, honor, and obey the structure in an inanimate ceremony intended, keep in mind, attended by a small group of friends. <laughs> um. You know, I mean, look to each their own, to each their yeah. own, right? Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more in our game at the end about other inanimate objects that people have married. Um, the, and then my final one is the woman who used her vows to exploit her cheating husband. Um, the night before Casey's wedding, she received screenshots of her soon-to-be husband's sexy texts to another woman. Instead of calling off the wedding immediately, the next day she got dressed, walked down the aisle, turned to the wedding guests and said, there will be no wedding today. It seems Alex is not who I thought he was. In an essay on Australian news a site, uh, news.com.au, Casey wrote about how she then pulled out her phone and read the text messages Alex had sent to another woman out loud oh in God. front of everyone. Oh, my he God. St- he stomped out of the church while she said... I love all of you, and as horrible as this is, I'm glad you are all here. There will be no wedding reception today, but instead there will be a celebration of honesty, finding true love and following your heart even when it hurts. So uh, fuck that guy. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, look, I, that, 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 that's, that's a tough one. Like, I guess I, I, understand, I understand the impetus behind it, like why you would want to do that. Um, and it, look, if it feels right for you, I guess it feels right for you. I mean, if I'm you're not, already there and it's already happening, you might as well use it to call somebody out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, true. You know, yeah. I mean, look, I, I say go for it. Why not? Yeah. Wow. So that is weddings in a jumble. I feel like we Woo! talked about a lot of different topics here today, but um weddings you know what we're gonna go to a lot of them we're gonna be a part of a lot of them hopefully you'll only have one but if you if you don't uh you know that that's that's cool too uh i have family members have been married many many times um uh, famously my mom's one husband said and with this wing oh boy oh (laughs) and uh, wow (laughs) so but 
a blooper uh, for the blooper reel that one right there it's really funny because it is actually on tape because they got married in vegas and it's on a tape somewhere that i really would like to send in america's funny some videos <laughs> mom is that okay thank God. you oh bye <laughs> Well, look, that about does it for our horror in real life segment. Uh, Folks, we'll be right back with our What You Been Watching, Bitch. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Folks, it's about that time for a wonderful segment called What You Been Watching, Bitch. What you been watching, you bride bitch? And if you're new to the show, what you been watching, bitch, is the segment where we tell you what we've been watching, bitch. The good, the bad, the ugly, the non-watchable, the, the weird. Can't forget. Yeah. It, it could literally be anything. So listen, we've got four things each. So Andrew, why don't you give us your first item? Do we want to do our shared one at the end or at the beginning? Uh, let's do it at the beginning. Why not? For fun. So, all right, so I went to the Alamo Draft House. Uh, when we're recording this, it is St. Patrick's Day weekend in in Chicago, and I forgot that it was that. And the Alamo Draft House is in Wrigleyville, which anybody knows in in an hour around Chicago, Wrigleyville is like Party Town, USA. And I forgot, and I had to drive through it to get to the Alamo Draft House. But I went and saw Scream Six, and I believe what? It, where did you go see it? I saw it as always at the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin. Um, it was not St. Patrick's weekend for us. We're doing we, Dublin does real St. Patrick's weekend on St. Patrick's Day, um, and I saw it at Lighthouse, where I pretty much see every film in Ireland. Let's let's be real. Um, and, uh, I actually saw it as part of a double feature. So I saw it last Wednesday, uh, the 8th of March and I saw it with uh, scream five and scream six. So I was in the theater for like four and a half hours. It was wild. Um, a long time. <laughs> it was, it was a long time, but it, but it was really worth it. I, ha- I had a great time. You know, I brought, I brought in my own food and like I, I snuggled, smuggled in a couple of, you know, diet Cokes. And um, it was great. I, I, it was it was such a fun time to be there because pretty much the only people who are going to go to a double feature of Screams, it's probably going to be Scream fans. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, for me, like I famously, I was not a huge fan of Five. Like if I if I I can share my ranking of the of the movies at the sure. end of what we talk about here, but um, I but so I like I had kind of like middling. Um, expectations going into mm-hmm. this one and so going into it I, th- I think that actually helped me because i actually really liked scream six i thought it was a vast improvement over scream five sure. uh both with characters and with story and i don't know if that was maybe just a refreshing new look i i want to say because maybe it was in a city but like the city part it a lot of it didn't really matter that much except yeah, for the train enough. ride which is the train rides in the preview so i i I don't think that's spoiling anything. They get on a train in, in New York City, but um, I felt like it still felt like a Scream movie, which I appreciated, even though it took place in New York City. Um, yeah, I thought it was really funny. All the little homages they played to Jason Takes Manhattan, I thought that that was really funny. Um, but other than that, I just had a really good time with it. I was, it was, it was much more. I, I told Michael at the very end when we the lights came up and we were done watching, I was like, I am sweaty. Like that was like so yeah. actiony. Like it was just, it never let up. Like from the very beginning to the very end, it was just like action, 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 action. Which 
was very exhausting, but it made for a very fun movie. What did yeah, you think? I, I, I feel the same way. I, I think it was, I mean, I, I did, I liked Scream 5 better than you did, um, but it was by no means my favorite Scream. Um, uh, but Scream 6, I thought was excellent. I thought that it was really bold. It was inventive. It was fun. You know, I, I think there was, there was an awful lot of drama about Courtney Cox not being in this film, you know, before you mean Nev film, Campbell or Nev Campbell, pardon me, duh, uh, about, about Nev Campbell not being in the film before the, the film actually opened. But I got to tell you, like, I was okay with her not being in it. Like, would I, would I have enjoyed her in it? Sure. I'm sure that I would have. But her not being in it, I was okay. You know, and honestly, like, the explanation of it, it worked for me. I think in a lot of ways, like, you know what? Sydney Prescott does deserve her happy ending. Yeah. And, like, maybe it's okay if, like, you know, like she doesn't have to get chased by a fucking murderer again. Like for me that, that that's an okay ending and maybe it's time for a new generation to experience this. Yeah, no, I agree. I think if I was going to rank them today, like, like on the yeah. spot today, I think I would go two, one, four, six, three, five. Okay. For, for me, I'm not as big a fan of two as other people, which I know is weird. And I'm a bigger fan of three than other people. <laughs> and, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all over the place. So for me, it goes like this. It goes one, three, two, six, five, four. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's interesting um, the way that four has kind of like uh, with the reintroduction of Kirby to the, to the scene, we'll see how that kind of like holds up in people's um minds because i feel like four was kind of forgotten for a long time yeah. and like people just now went back to it because of maybe because of this movie so we'll see but anyway that's scream six i don't want to give anything away yeah. so uh, andrew what, what's your next one uh, my next one is on hulu um it's actually an export of bbc so i'm sure okay. you'd be able to watch this to it on Ooh. some other some other way finally but, something um, um it's called wreck um it is about a cruise ship and it, it's all a big mystery about this girl who basically you see it there's the very beginning the first episode is you see that she jumps from the boat uh and then it's kind of about her brother who sneaks on and impersonates an employee on the boat to try to figure out what's going on on the boat why yeah. why is why are murders happening like what's going on and it just kind of goes from there what i really appreciated about the show is there's not only one queer lead there are two queer leads oh wow um, both the boy and the girl who are kind of like your your main leads in the show are both queer and unabashedly queer in in the show um and wait, 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 wait. A, andrew is this is a movie or a show a show it's, it's a, a six show. episode okay. six episodes okay cool um and um i at first i was a little <sighs> weary of the show because it starts a little slow but then uh -huh. like once it actually gets into it there's actually a pretty decent mystery and kind of a really big twist that i did not see coming um and so mm. i really enjoyed it and it sets it up for a season two so i'm hoping that there will be a season two of wreck wreck on hulu cool uh my next one has two titles and i don't understand why but on amazon it might be listed for you as the disappearance at lake elrod or it might be Through the Glass Darkly. Why that is, I couldn't tell you. Um, anyways, Through the Glass Darkly is on Amazon for me. It probably is for you too. It's a, it's Amazon UK for me. Um, I turned this on because I just didn't have anything else to watch. And I just thought, this one looks kind of interesting. Um, you know, it's it has the feel of like a, um, like a made-for-TV movie in a lot of ways. 
And, you know, I, I, there was a point, I'm not going to lie, there was a point where I was like, maybe I'm going to shut this off. Mm. But it was maybe just good enough that I kept watching. And so I did. I just, I just did. Um, I honestly cannot remember the names of the people that are in it. Um, the, the director is Lauren Fash. And I, I can't really think of what else she might have done. Um, but, uh, you know, look, it wasn't bad. It's the story of like this, um, this lesbian mother, um, whose daughter gets kidnapped and the, the local police don't find her and it's, it's in Georgia. Um, and so it's like kind of like a Southern thing going on there too, all this kind of shit. Right. And, um, it's sort of like her experience with that, but then another girl goes missing, um, you know, years later and it's it's just sort of about like her journey through that, right? So is and this a is this a movie movie or like a documentary? Or it's a, a movie movie. It's it's a okay, movie okay movie. okay. And um, you know, it it kind of works, you know, in a way. Like I said, it's it's definitely not great, you know. Like on on uh, on Letterbox, I gave it two and a half stars, which I thought was generous for it. And I even said like, look, it's not great, but it's way better than it deserved to be for sure. And so it's just kind of like in a weird. Like it's like in a weird limbo space for me. I don't really know how I feel about this movie, but I don't, I don't think that I'm gonna pan it. Like it's one that I actually kind of want other people to watch just to like see what you think about it too. If you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways, it's it's it, like I said, it's two different names. It could be the disappearance at Lake Elrod, which it was for me on on my Amazon, um, you know, system, or it could be for you through the glass darkly, which is how it's listed on like IMDB on, on Letterboxd. That's kind so, of a weird title if I'm being honest. I, and if I'm being honest, the, 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 the disappearance at Lake Elrod makes a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot more sense. Trust me. But anyways, that's it. So that's on Amazon. There you go. All right. Speaking of one that I had that we have middling um, kind of opinions on, uh, I have a Netflix new movie called We Have a Ghost. Uh, yeah, this has um, the guy from Stranger Things, Harbor. I can't think of his name. First name, David Harbor. Is that right? Um, okay. Who plays the cop on Stranger Things. Um, and it's written by Christopher Landon, who famously we've done... Um, uh, uh, freaky and uh, happy death day. The, that's like his, that's like his thing. Um, and this is a straight to Netflix release. It's about a family that moves into a house and guess what? The house has a ghost, but it's kind of like, I don't know if you remember that old Bill Cosby movie, not to bring Bill Cosby into this, uh -huh. but um, ghost dad where like, you kind of like interacting oh, yeah, with the yeah. ghost. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And like the ghost like has some like unfinished business that like that, like the kids want to help them get done. Like it's that kind of a story. So it's kind of like, it's, this is how I feel about this movie. I, I had fun watching it. It's a little over two, like two hours and 20 minutes, which is way too long for what this movie needs to be. Um, but there's parts that are really funny. And then there's parts that are kind of just like, they don't make a whole lot of sense if I'm being honest. And yeah, don't, sure. don't get me wrong. I mean, we we up and down praised Happy Death Day, and you know we'll eventually do Happy Death Day to you, which I really like, and I really love Freaky. This one just missed the mark a little bit for that me. Sucks. Um, I still had fun watching it, but kind of like you, I probably give like two and a half out of five type of yeah, deal. Yeah, sure. So okay, uh, my next one is Empire of Light on on Disney Plus. I watched this. Um, oh, what a what a delightful movie! Um, this is uh, came out in what twenty twenty two, right? I want to make sure I've got that right. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, and it is a film starring Olivia Coleman, who I just think is 
the bomb. She's so good in everything that she does. Um, it's set in the eighties, uh, on the South coast of England. Um, I, it's, it's sort of supposed to be like Brighton a little bit, but you're not entirely sure where it is. Um, and it all takes place in this old movie house, um, called the empire. And it's just like, number one, the movie house itself is almost a character, right? I mean, it's, it's the kind of movie house where like you just you want to go back over and over again that old style like it's it's sort of like um uh like like music box in in Chicago yeah, right yeah. and so it's just beautiful and just you you feel like you're transported to another time when you go there it's really really cool um anyways Olivia Coleman plays this woman who is the duty manager uh at this theater and you know she's she has just you know sort of a, a humdrum kind of life um, she's having an affair with her boss who owns the theater and like, you know, she mostly gets along with the people that she works with, but she's just sort of depressed and kind of bored. Right. Along comes this new guy who's just, you know, he's young and he's, he's attractive and he's handsome. He's also black in eighties Britain, which is a whole other type of, of, uh, of experience. And so they, um, they hit it off as you might imagine. And that's a little bit of a spoiler, but it's really not that big of one. If you watch the trailer, trust me. And so, um, it's just sort of what happens from there. The movie is about mental illness. The movie is about race relations in England in the eighties, um, and onward. Um, and it's about love and, um, and, and it's about, um, it's about finding the magic in life. So, um, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. I, th I thought it was good. Um, I don't, I don't think it's like any sort of like award winning kind of thing, but, um, I, I thought it was, uh, well worth the watch. This is, uh, from Sam Mendes. So Sam Mendes both wrote this, produced it, and he directed it. Um, and I, I think it's really worth your time. There are some other great people in this too. Um, Toby Jones, Colin Firth, um, among some other, um, some random folks in there too. So <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's just, it's really funny that you you say these cast and I'm like, of course, this is a British movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> just sure. like, yeah. Um, the, yeah, it's, the, it's the typical uh, cast of, of any British movie. Right. <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Um, but that was on Disney Plus. So give it a watch. Cool. Yeah. That, no, that sounds like something I'd be into. So I'll, I'll give it a watch. Um, my last one is the, well, at the, at the time that this movie or that this episode comes out, it probably won't be new anymore, but the new Elizabeth Banks movie, Cocaine Bear. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to see this. I'm so excited. Um, like I, I went and saw this at the Davis Theater, uh, local theater right around here in Lincoln Square in Chicago. Uh, had a great time. Uh, basically, what I, how I have poised this movie to people is basically if you took the universe of Wet Hot American Summer and dropped a bear in it that does cocaine <laughs> oh and God, rips people Jesus. apart, that's pretty much this movie. It's. I don't know if she did it on purpose. I'm guessing she did. There's, I, I feel like there's no way Elizabeth Banks would have done this not on purpose. But the movie opens with the same song that Wet Hot American Summer opens with. Oh, no with. way. That's crazy. So I think she was trying to, for the diehard fans of that kind of genre and what she was a big part of for a very long time. I feel like she was playing a little bit of an homage to that. And the comedy in it is very much of that that ilk, if you yeah, want. Yeah, sure, if you, sure. Um, there are, uh, listen, if you have a sensitive stomach, cocaine bear might not be for you because it oh, is boy. very gory. Oh, um, geez. Uh, but it is a hell of a good time. Um, what else can you say about a movie called cocaine bear? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if, right. it's really funny. Uh, we have a local like Facebook page around like Lincoln square and if, if for people that don't know, Lincoln square is very much populated by like young and upcoming families with maybe like kids under like, I don't know. 
five, I'd say they're probably usually like three to eight, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure, before sure, they sure. like, before they moved to the suburbs. Um, but there was a post on there that was like scream six and cocaine bear at the Davis theater. When are we going to get some good kids movies? Oh my like, God. Get, get out of here with that. <laughs> no, but the, fun, the funniest thing is that the, the first comment right under that was like, puss in boots has been there for a month. and a half. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, that's funny. <laughs> But yeah, Cocaine Bear was a fun time. If if that sounds like up your alley, I think you kind of know what you're getting into. So I will say that it does fulfill those expectations. That's awesome. I can't wait to see that. Uh, my final one is Women Talking. Um, this is one of the films that is up for Best Picture um, for the Oscars. I, w- I wanted to get it in before Oscar Sunday, and I did. Um, I rented it, and it's well worth it. Um, this is directed by Sarah Polly has an all-star cast with Claire Foy, uh, with uh, Frances McDormand, Ben Wishaw, um, and some other really great people. Um, I mean, look, this is uh, this is really good. It's also a really different kind of movie. Um, women talking really kind of says it all. This is, you know, however long it is. I can't remember how long it was, but, you know, two hours or so, hour and a half, two hours, somewhere in there. It's a movie that is pretty much just women talking. And um, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's not. And it is uh, a, a, a film that deals with, I think, what women are going through in a really um, a really inventive and nuanced and bold way. And I, I thought it was really incredible. I think it's really, really good. And I think that the performances just around around the entire film are, are well worth everyone's time. I, I, I can understand why it was nominated for Best Film. Um, or best picture, pardon me, because the the performances are just incredible, and the subject matter it deals with is really tough, and um, the way that the women talk, quite frankly, to find their way through it is is really pretty incredible. It's a model, I think, for for what can be for the future. So um, I really enjoyed it. You know, I I think if you get a chance or if you can rent it, you should definitely see it. It's 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 worth it. And um, do I think it's going to win best picture? Absolutely not. Um, but I'm glad to see that it is nominated for sure. Yeah, this one I feel like is getting buried a little bit, um, just in the kind of like uh, echelon of what people are talking about for like best picture yeah, and like sure. what's nominated and stuff. And I I love Sarah Polly so much. I wish she would act again. Um, Same. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely give this. A ch- I I did. I I think I did know that she directed it, but now you just reminded me, and I was like, oh yeah, I do want to actually watch this. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean. There, there's one movie with Sarah Polly. It's, it, it's about her dying, and it's so good. Oh, like, my God. Wow. Dying. But anyway. All right. So that is the end of what you've been watching, bitch. We both saw Scream 6 at the both Alamo Drafthouse and the Lighthouse Cinema. I, uh, Maddie brought us Empire of Light, currently on Disney+, Plus, Through the Glass Darkly on Amazon, and Women Talking, which you can now currently rent on demand. And Andrew brought us Wreck on Hulu. We have a ghost on Netflix, and Cocaine Bear, which you can see in theaters, or I'm sure you can probably rent that by now, too. So, folks, that is the end of What You've Been Watching, Bitch. Give us a moment, and we'll be back with our first film, Bride of Chucky.
Chucky's back. But this time, there's more to fear. Because this time, he's got a playmate of his own. Bride of Chucky. Bum, 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 bum. Here comes the Bride of Chucky. Andrew, tell us about Bride of Chucky, please. Chucky gets lucky. Chucky hooks up with another murderous doll, the bridal gown-clad Tiffany, for a Route 66 murder spree with their unwitting hosts. Directed by Ronnie Yu, written by Don Mancini. Production and distribution were handled by Universal Pictures. Tiffany is played by Jennifer Tilly. Chucky is played by Brad Dourif. Jade is played by Katherine Heigl. Jesse is played by Nick Stable. Damien is played by Alexis Arquette. David is played by Gordon Michael Wolvet. And Chief Warren Kincaid is played by the everyone's dad john john ritter <laughs> right um this is rated r it was released on october 16th of 1998 and it sure does show it comes in at an 89 minutes it was filmed in and around uh, toronto ontario um and then the budget was 25 million and it pulled in about 51 million dollars so maddie was this your first time? Was this our first time dipping our toes into the into the uh, child's play bucket? Uh, was this your first time? And what did you think? Not my first time, but my first time in a long time. Like probably since it came out, to be honest with you. Because um, child's play was really never my thing. And then all of a sudden, I, I became really cool with it. And um, so now I'm cool with it. So it was nice to watch <laughs> this again um, when I'm cool with child's play. And um, I had a blast with it. I, I think Bride of Chucky is just ridiculous. I think it's insane. I think Jennifer Tilly is Jennifer Tilly as always, right? I think, you know, Chucky is Chucky as always, right? There you go. Catherine Heigl is in this fucking thing. I mean, like, th- this this thing has a lot going for it. And it also has a lot of heart. And I think that's the thing that I probably like about it the most is that, um, you know, the addition of Tiff to to the universe here. Um, just makes a lot of sense, and and it and it brings um, it brings a new dimension to 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 the the child's play sort of story and to Chucky, and I had a great time with it. I really did. Um, it's it's wacky. It's absolutely wacky. This movie, but I mean, like, isn't child's play anyway? I mean, it's a fucking killer doll. You know what I mean? So like. The, the injection of further wackiness just sort of makes it work. I mean, look, there's plenty of stuff that doesn't work here, right? Like the the initial, um, what was the name of the the guy that, that's Tiff's like sort of boyfriend at the beginning? Who's that guy? Uh, Damien. He, yeah, he's Damien, duh. So like, I mean, like the Damien part there, that, that doesn't work all that well for me, but like I get it, right? You know, it makes the story move along. Um, the, the, the gay character in it, David, you know, look, there there are some things that maybe aren't the best, but look, it was 98 and there was a full on just like openly gay dude in this movie. But something, he's, he's going to college on a figure skating scholarship. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, like, and, you know, like, like there's something like there's something like sort of almost like, oh, what's the word I want to use? Like nostalgic almost about how that yeah. character was written and executed. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I had a great time watching this again. I'm glad we brought it for this particular episode. Yeah, so for me, um, Child's Play was one of those series that I probably saw way too early in my childhood. It <laughs> scarred me for a long that's why, time. That's why you're fucked up. 
Um, I had a My Buddy doll and my my name as a child was Andy. And so this was very triggering for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but by the time we get to Bride of Chucky, it's kind of it, for what I what I see Bride of Chucky is, is kind of like a reset for the franchise because the first three movies are all tied together by Andy. Like that's his trilogy. Like he's the main character. What happens with Bride of Chucky is we switch to where we're now kind of rooting for Chucky instead of like rooting against him. Yeah. Um, He's kind of the hero and he's kind of the protagonist in the movie. Like, let's be honest, Jesse and Jade are there, but only as a function to transport Tiffany and Chucky through the movie. Like they're just the fodder for kind of like the, the rest of the movie. This movie's mostly just about kind of like Chucky and Tiffany raising hell across, like you said, route 66. But, um, no, I had a lot of fun with this movie. It definitely like it brought me back to like a time I was like, oh, this is like, I don't know. It's like the scream version of uh, of Child's Play. Like the, you can just like tell in the writing and everything that it's of an era that just like brings you back to like, well, for me, I would have been like eighth grade, ninth grade, somewhere sure. around there. Um, and it just like brings me back to like those like going to the movies and seeing these movies and I don't know. For some reason, this one did hit like a little bit of a nostalgia button. Um, seeing some of these people in this movie, like seeing Katherine Heigl, I think in her, f- no, maybe not her first role, but one of her very first roles. Um, and then seeing like uh, John Ritter and even Alexis Arquette and all these people that you're like, wow, like yeah, these people are. Honestly, the the John Ritter thing really threw me because I, I forgot he was in this totally. And I was like, is that fucking John Ritter right now? Yeah, yeah. Sad story how that all ended with him, but yeah. Um, what I will say, what I really appreciate about kind of the Child's Play series in general, and then I'll talk more specifically about Bride of Chucky, is just sure. Um, Don Mancini, he's been in charge the entire time. Yeah, and for real, that is kind of insane for a person to be involved in the franchise from start to now because it's still going on with the Chucky TV show. Um, that he's still remained in charge, still regained. Um all of the rights to it and really set the course for how the story gets told. And I think that there's something just to say just on his behalf alone, just saying like, wow, like you did this thing. You've been in charge of this thing for like, God, it's got to be almost 30 years at this point that he's been helming the kind of like the child's play slash Chucky bandwagon, which is just insane to me. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, What I think that where I think this movie really succeeds is just like, you can just tell that Jennifer Tilly and Brad Dourif had a really fun time on this totally. movie. Yeah. Um, there's even a lot of back behind the scenes stuff where it just like kind of shows them in the recording studio. Just kind of a lot of these, a lot of the stuff that they talk about, like in like the, the scenes, well, a lot of it was made up. Like a lot of it, they just like made up in the recording studio. Isn't that amazing? And then um, also what I really appreciate about this movie is, and this is kind of with all the Child's Play movies, but I really noticed it a lot in in this one specifically, is just like the use of the animatronics and like how we see the dolls talk and move and just like do all this stuff. I'm just like, wow, for 98, like this is, this Not looks bad. really good. <laughs> like, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I mean, like it, it, it works. And even when it doesn't work, it's charming enough. I mean, and who, who would ever guess that you would call Chucky charming? You know what I mean? But it's charming enough that y- you're okay with it. 
Yeah, no, totally. Um, another person that is not in our cast list because she's a very minor role, but I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, none other than Kathy Jimmy herself. Oh, I forgot to put her in. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Plays, plays the maid that discovers the horny couple in the uh, Honeymooners Hotel, which I thought was really funny. I'm like, Also, the, 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 the horny couple is maybe one of the most unhinged parts of the movie, quite frankly. Like, yes. it's, it, is, <laughs> yes. it is so out of nowhere. And like it just happens, and you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" It's it's so crazy that part. Not gonna lie though, would watch that porn. Just saying. <laughs> uh, I mean, no. look, Nick Nick Stable is a very good looking man. He, but oh, say this is what I wrote in my I wrote in my notes. I literally wrote, "Jesse is so generically hot." And what I mean by that is he just looks like every hot guy. And I can't really explain it because he is a very good looking guy. And then I went to go look at his IMDb because I was like, what else has he been in? Like he, and guess what? He's been in a ton of soap operas. So that makes uh-huh. a ton of makes sense. Total sense. I'm, yeah, I'm, looking, that, I'm looking at right look. now. He was in Sunset Beach, for God's sake. Yeah. So um, some things I noticed this time around, um, just there's a lot of really funny dialogue moments where um, it, it's either between Tiffany and Chucky or in the dialogue alone. But um, some of the ones I put down was uh, when he's playing with the speak and spell and <laughs> the speak and spell says spell woman. And so what does Chucky put into it? B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> yes, it's so good. And it's like, that is not how you spell woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, I And then I like when Tiffany says, um, I wouldn't marry you even if you had the body of G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. And like, that that's the kind of shit that's like, I mean, come on, that's just like stupid humor, but it yeah. works so well. It completely in context of this. Anything else, you would totally cringe. You would maybe even shut it off. But for this, you kind of live for it almost. Yeah, even when um, they do that ridiculous uh, airbag kill with John Ritter and he falls down with like all the nails in his head and uh, Chucky goes, now why does that look so familiar? And it's obviously like a pinhead joke, which is... (laughs) Of course. You know, it's um, interesting. It's in the in the in like the trivia for the film, um, Julia Stiles actually got the part of Jade first. Did you know that? Uh, I can kind of see that actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. And apparently she dropped out because she was gonna go do 10 Things I Hate About You. Well, but, like, she made the right choice. <laughs> she she did. But like, I mean, imagine like it's it's just it's crazy to think about like those particular like you know moments in like film history. Like if Julia Stiles had done this instead of Katherine Heigel, like what what would Katherine Heigel have done instead? It's just it's crazy to think about. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed some of the little, um, uh, what do you call them? The little, the little hints at the beginning of the movie when they were in the Lockport Police Department uh, evidence case. Oh, I don't know sure, if you saw yeah. some of those. There's like a Jason mask in there. There's a Halloween yes. mask. There's a Freddy glove. Like there's all kinds of things in there. A Michael Myers mask was in there too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did this. So what really placed this in 1998 is definitely the music. Um, the inclusion of Living Dead Girl by Rob Zombie playing uh-huh. over the opening credits just like put me into a place where I was thinking I was a goth, but I really just wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't know. There was just like something about like the the what do you even call that kind of music? It's like light metal i don't know you know what i mean I think, like I, I, I mean you could just call it metal to be fair but like it's like it's like light like, metal maybe I like get, new like, like new metal i don't know I, I, I get i get where you're going with it i mean personally i would just call it metal but new metal is an interesting way to think about it though 
Um, we should say that this takes place 10 years after the events of Child's Play 3. Um, so we have a break. Um, this does not include any of the original characters from the Child's Play trilogy, but uh, we do get Tiffany, who retroactively is the uh, lover of Brad Dourif's character when he was a serial killer, um, Charles Lee Ray. Um, and then he got killed, obviously, in Child's Play 1. And then we get this kind of like backstory that she's been looking for him for the, the last 10 years. And she kind of puts him back together. She reads voodoo for dummies, and <laughs> which, was, which was also pretty funny, quite frankly. Yeah, well, I mean, that's another thing of the time. Like there was a, a, a four dummies for everything. Literally everything. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I, I, he comes back to life and kills Alexis Arquette, uh, who's, who's plays David or no, I'm sorry. Uh, who plays Damien. Um, that part really, I I cannot stand anytime piercings get ripped out. Like that is and a trigger. A, that is a bad bloody one right there. I mean, he that's rips a, it. He rips two out of out of his out of his mouth, both from, yeah. from, from his lips. Is it, wait, is that the Lebray? No, because it's in his. I think it's in like in his in his middle lip is to his it, side lip. <laughs> is the is the Lebray the top lip? Is that what that one is? I think the Lebray is in your chin. It's oh in boy! Like that. See, I don't know anything about piercing. Here we go. Anyways, yeah. yeah, he rips this motherfucker out of his lower lip, and it is just the blood just goes everywhere. And I'm I'm the same way as you. That's one where I'm like I can't even imagine how yeah. painful that would be. But watching it, you start to imagine. You know. Um, I, I, once again, I do appreciate that a, uh, the, the writer of this movie wrote Jesse as being shirtless as he cleans his car <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> uh, let's not forget that Dan, Don Mancini is gay himself. So you know what? Nick Stable, take off your shirt. You're going to be doing baby. this thing. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Go for it, honey. Um, I did like that. Uh, Tiffany says like, I'll kill anybody, but I only sleep with the ones I love. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so good. Um, another good line. I thought th- I, I think this is where I am getting at. It's, like, it, it's all about the lines in this movie. Um, but I thought it was funny when, uh, John Ritter is talking to Jesse and he, Jesse's like, Oh, you fuck. And then he's like, and then John Ritter goes, but you won't not jade at least <laughs> i was like that's pretty good um but overall and then it turns into kind of like a road movie i did think that there's something funny about them both suspecting each other but still getting married to each other <laughs> but while like suspecting that hey, either one of them could look, be a serial killer the, the the course of true love never did run smooth you know yeah um I, th- there was a funny uh, so let's talk about the one of the more cringy uh parts of the movie yeah sure and the part that has like, always been like well this is a little too far and that is the doll sex scene um <laughs> <laughs> there is a moment where the horny couple which i do think is the best kill of the movie uh where tiffany throws a champagne bottle up into the mirror yeah. on the on the on the ceiling and the mirror comes down and kind of kills the two horny couple um and then after that chucky realizes wow she really is the love of my life (laughs) and takes the ring off of the the girl and puts it on uh tiffany and then they proceed to have feelings and um (laughs) chucky says well i am anatomically correct and then uh tiffany says do you have a rubber and then he goes Baby, I'm made of rubber. <laughs> and then so she awful. Go- and then she goes, I thought you were plastic. <laughs> <So> <laughs> oh my god. 
It's so, and then they'd proceed to have uh, shadow sex or uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, that's, that's all I can put it is that they they hump in like the shadow play. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it 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 is cringy, but you know, just like everything else in the film, like any other thing, you would you would totally toss this thing aside. But there's just something about, and I think especially about Tiffany in this, the way that Tiffany brings a new heart and a new just sort of like angle to the whole Chucky story. I think that's what keeps you in. Yeah, well, I think that, like, what she brings to the table is, like, his hum- humanity, his humanity, yeah, exactly. like, humanity right. side. Um, she's kind of, like, what the only thing that tethers him back to, like, the real world and not just being a killer doll. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a little deep for what this movie is, but, like, that's kind of, like, where I, where I, where I take it. And there's a lot of, um, uh like synonyms to bride of bride of frankenstein so she's obviously watching it on the tv when she gets killed and at the very end she has the iconic line we belong dead which is from bride of frankenstein and so there there are like those little homages that i think that you know written by don mancini you can kind of just see that yes he wanted to have a lot of fun with bringing chucky back and doing something ridiculous like having him get married and have sex but also he knew he knew the assignment. That's all I had to say. Like he knew what to do to get people on back on board with this series. Yeah, I totally agree you know, with you. If we ever talk about Seed of Chucky, I have some other things to talk about on that movie. But um, I mean, uh, let's 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 talk about the birth of the fucking I know. baby at the end. That, <laughs> that that part is that part is equally parts terrifying, um, disgusting, and also like hilarious. Like it's that- hilarious. When that little demon comes out, I don't even know what with those is fucking happening. teeth, and it, it goes right for the cop. Oh my god, it's it's kind of amazing, truly. We should call out one other person, um, David Kirshner, who was in charge of all of the doll work and in charge of like kind of making the dolls and all the prosthetics and everything. Um, he actually had the idea for this movie, um, and he took it to Don Mancini, and Don Mancini said, "You know, that actually is a really good idea. Let me write it." But we should give credit to David Kirshner too because he kind of had like the initial idea of how sure. to bring Chucky back into the fold. Fuck yeah! Um, one thing I thought was really funny, and it's 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 a blink and you'll miss it moment, but it just cracked me up is when they crash the uh, Winnebago at the end. And um, Chucky is holding Jade hostage and kind of like making her go to the grave, like holding her at gun and trying to make her go to the grave to get the amulet. And I realized that sentence I just said is ridiculous. But <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, but then um, Jesse grabs the burnt up body of Tiffany and she's still alive, but he grabs her by the hair and it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. But when he's running with her, there's this, there's these little sounds that they must have recorded in the uh, studio uh, uh, where uh, she's uh, like, ah, ooh, ah. Yeah, I know. I heard him too. <laughs> it, it, it honestly, I don't know if I've ever noticed that before, but this time around it cracked oh, it's so my funny. shit up. It's so funny. And you know, like fucking, Jennifer Tilly is just such she's such an icon for that voice that she has. Yeah. And just like, and of course all the other shit that she's done before too. But like it, she it, it, she she is the definition of someone who really understands her own voice and how funny it can be when she uses it correctly. And you know, I, I, none of us are ever going to be in a, you know, a a, a non um a non performative, you know, moment with Jennifer Tilly. But I would love to hear what she's really like when she's not on screen because it, ha- it has to drop at least a little bit. Um, but the way that she brings it up for 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 various roles, I think it's just it's really magic. Yeah. Another an, another part that I saw with Tiffany and Chucky is that 
they have so in the score they kind of have like a tiffany chucky theme like whenever they're having like one yeah. of their moments it's very similar to dewey and uh and gail's theme from scream oh, if you interesting. listen to it um i just noticed it this time around i think maybe just because i had just entered back into the scream universe but i <laughs> kind of noticed it this time around but um yeah overall i think that bride of chucky is a, kind of a bright spot in the oh, child's play series i yeah. mean we'll talk about other ones as we get to them but it was fun to kind of get it's fun to come into this series right in the middle and maybe some yeah. people will be annoyed by that like me oh why haven't they started at the beginning but it didn't fit the theme so i think that it was you know kind of fun if, that we just kind of like locked if, down in the middle if you don't like where we started may I offer you some advice start your own podcast how about that there you go <laughs> true are there any other uh tidbits that we should know about in this movie uh let's see here there is a character uh named damien ba- uh Baylock, as, as of course you know um and in the omen the satanic child as we know is called damon and his evil nanny is called mrs Baylock. that's where the name oh. came from nice little fun little trivia thing there um one of the bride of chucky promotional posters is a parody of the scream 2 poster how about i that? remember that poster yeah. um we've already talked about this but two of rob zombie's songs are featured in the film living dead girl and thunder kiss 65 uh brad duriff would later play sheriff bracket in rob zombie's remake of halloween and halloween 2 and at around 17 minutes, Chucky twisting his head all the way around in front of Damien is a pretty obvious reference to The Exorcist. Uh, but coincidentally, Brad Dourif was in The Exorcist 3 as the Gemini Killer, uh, who also makes a reference to Child's Play in that movie. That's a nice little I, meta moment right there. I need to see The Exorcist 3. That is a Do you, Andrew? My... Do you? I mean, I hear people talk very positively about it. So Yeah, I mean, you you know I'm an Exorcist stan. Um I'm not a big fan of it, but I but I do know why people look. We'll we'll, we'll do the Exorcist later. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, here at Friday the Thirteenth Horror Podcast, we grade on a seven stripe scale for the seven stripes of the gay old rainbow. I personally gave this a five. I said it is loud, over the top, and just the right amount of camp to evoke those late '90s vibes. I'm generous in my old age, it appears. I gave it a six, and I said, arguably my favorite of the franchise. It's just so wacky and ridiculous and honestly heartwarming. I'm on Team Tiff. All right. Well, that will do it for Bride of Chucky. We will take a break and be right back with Ready or Not. I can't believe that in half an hour, I will be a part of the Ladomus Gaming dynasty empire uh, dominion we prefer dominion i honestly can't wait to be a part of your family there's just one more thing and then you are officially part of the family so at midnight you have to play a game why it's just something we do when someone new joins the family a game what game hide and seek are we really gonna play that the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. What the hell is this? How old is this thing? I know you're in here. Jesus. 
us. You shot the maid. Does she look like she's wearing a giant white wedding dress, Emily? <laughs> Holy shit! I had to play along so that I can get you out. It's insane. They think they have to kill you before sunrise. Or something very bad will happen to the family. If we don't find her and perform the ritual, we're all dead. Found her. Are you ready? You better be, because it's time to talk about ready or not. Maddie, tell us all about the film. In-laws can be murder. A bride's wedding night takes a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. Ready or Not was directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpen and Tyler Gillett. It was written by Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy. Uh, produced and distributed by Searchlight, Grace was played by Samara Weaving, Daniel played by Adam Brody, Alex played by Mark O'Brien, uh, Tony by Henry Cherney, Becky by Andy McDowell, Emily by Melanie Scrofano, Fitch by Christian Brun, uh, Brune, pardon me, Charity by Elise Levesque, and uh, Aunt Helene. God, my speech is all over the place today. Sorry, folks. And Aunt Helene, played by Nikki Guadagni. It is rated R. It's 95 minutes long. It is out of America. And it was released on August 21st, 2019, otherwise known as My Birthday. Um, filmed in Oshawa and Toronto, Ontario. The budget was a surprising, surprising $6 million. That seems awfully low to me for this movie, but hey, that, that's what it said here. I don't even know how you get this much talent for $6 million. Uh, for real. I, I have no idea how they did it for that, but the, the the figures on IMDb Pro, which is where we get this information from, they do tend to be accurate, so I feel good about it. Anyways, the gross for this was $58 million. So, ready or not, Andrew, this is not a first time for you. It was for me, actually. Um, so tell me um, about why, because I know that you love this one. Tell me about why you love it. Yeah, so uh, funny enough, we just talked about Scream 6. This is their first movie uh, that they they did. So the, these guys are the same guys that did Scream 5 and Scream 6. Yeah. They did Ready or Not first. <clears throat> but um, yeah, overall, like, honestly, I don't know how you cannot have a good time watching this movie. It from start to finish is just such... It, it, it literally never stops. It literally, literally keeps going. And I think that anyone that can't get in the mood for this movie might have something wrong with their brain because it's just it's just like a fun movie. And it's so relatable in weird ways when you're talking about trying to break into a new family or meeting your your uh, your spouse's family for the first time or trying to impress them. And just like the intricacies of tradition and like, why we do the things we do just because we're told we have to do them. Like it, there's just like so much in here that is just crazy. And um, 
I just think that really what carries this movie for me not only is like the story very unique and um something i'd never seen before but also just like the performances of literally everybody like we'll talk about it in a little bit on who we think is our our mvp here in this but it's just like literally everybody is on fire in this movie and it seems like they just showed up and knew exactly what to do um and yeah i just i have a ton of fun with this movie we'll talk about details but maddie considering this is a first time watch for you what did you think oh i i loved it um i i don't know why i didn't see it. I, I say this often but i really don't remember why i didn't see this i must have just been busy or, or put it off or whatever um this movie is incredible i i had such a great time with it i think that I, it, it has so much going for it in the first place i mean the um the the cast is fantastic you know you've got samara weaving of course uh, but you also have Andy McDowell. You've got Henry Cherney. I mean, these are names that like you you may not always remember Henry Cherney's name, but you definitely remember his face. And you definitely remember his voice because he's been in so many great films. Andy McDowell is a fucking, I mean, come on, classic for God's sake. And I mean, I've loved Andy McDowell since Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is arguably one of my favorite films of all time. And watching her in this movie play the role that she plays was so much fun because it was so different for her. And you can also see how much fun she has with it. I mean, she had a great time playing the mother. Um, Samara Weaving does a fantastic job in this movie. Like, truly, put this bitch up for anything because she is fan-freaking-tastic. The physical nature of this movie was so incredible. And like, I don't know how much she did on her own as opposed to like stunts or whatever. I mean, I, I really have no idea. Um, but the, the stuff that, you know, you can just kind of tell, like, there's no way anyone could do that. But her was was really awesome. I mean, she's all over the place. I mean, it's, and it's not just like doing stunts. I mean, like, think about like how much she has to like, literally, I know, I know this sounds dumb, but like, really think about it. Think about how much she has to fucking crouch in this movie and like bend and like mm-hmm. tuck herself into tight spaces and like really use her body every single part of it. There, there's a physical nature to acting that I don't think people who haven't like studied acting or tried it out before, like you don't really realize. I mean, it's 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 fucking hard. And when your whole body is on display, there's something really magic about about actors who just know what they're doing with their body and know how to use it. Um, I think the story itself is just something really cool. You know, like this is this is the kind of story that I really love. Like it gives you. Um, it gives you like the, all like the noir touches that that like you that that you really like like visually, but then it also gives you a fully explored mythology, right? So the whole mythology of this film is laid out. You know about how the great grandfather met you know Mister LaBelle, who's like very clearly the devil, right? And yeah. like you know went through this whole thing and 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 made this bargain, and that's why the family's rich now. And in order to stay rich, they have to do this, this, this. And like, there's, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. When, when the mythology isn't like a total mystery, but they take the time to flush it out. You know, not, not well, not to flush it out. What's the word I want to use here? Um, to, really, when they, it, to really flesh it out is what I think. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. When to, they to explain give, it, give it but, a, what, go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's when they explain it, but they don't over-explain it. Like that's it's, it. it. Yeah, it, it works within the context of the movie. Bingo. Yeah, they they give you they give you the they give you the full synopsis, and then they let it play out in front of you. And that I just think is so cool. And like all like the little touches from that mythology, like when when the record goes on and it starts playing mm-hmm. that song, like how, come on, how cool is that? Or even like their weapons, the weapons are totally antiquated, clearly from the great grandfather's time when he met Mr. LaBelle. That's super cool. The house itself 
is super cool. It's kind of amazing. And so like they have this great environment to play in with all the atmosphere that you could possibly want for a movie like this. And that is largely why this film just wins and wins and wins in every single scene. Yeah, the fe- the 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 amount of things that her character has to go through in this movie is just so much. Like, I definitely noticed it this time around where I was like, Jesus Christ, yes, she does deserve that cigarette at the end. <laughs> like, A big time, like, come but, on. Um, no, and I this time around, really, too, I did notice, like, just the way, the, the amount she has to do in this movie, just with, like, voice work. Like, she has to be yeah. the demure, the demure bride, but then she also has to scream at the top of her lungs as yeah. a nail goes through her hand. <laughs> like, it's, it is so insane, um, the amount that she goes through. Um, I, I, and I want to talk about the, uh, the surrounding cast. So we have kind of like the extended family from Aunt Helene to the sister, to the, to the, um, to the brother, to all their families. And just like, I think that that's what like rounds out the movie for me. Like, yes, Samara Weaving carries the movie, like no, no, no qualms about it. Like she's, she's the star, but like there are all these moments with all the other characters that just give this movie so much charm. And I, I don't really know how to explain it, but, um, I, who was, who was your, who's your MVP of kind of this, of the uh, surrounding cast? Oh boy. Oh, that's tough. Um, how do I pick only one? I mean, I, I, it's it's hard because they're all um they're all despicable. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I mean so it's it's really it's really hard to pick one. I think um you know, I guess I would choose Mark O'Brien who plays Alex and I I guess I would choose him because I I think he does a, he does, he really does do a fair job of not playing the end, right? And so yeah, you know, yeah. you you really do, you know, throughout the entire film until, you know, the last what is it, the last 10 minutes, I guess. Well, until he sees her standing over the dead body of his mother. Of his mother, right, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, up until then though, you're pretty sure that he's going to be on her side. And so when it, you know, turns the other direction after she, you know, beats his mother to death with the the puzzle box, um, you know, like you, it, it is, it's a true moment of surprise. And so I, I do think that playing that can also be a real challenge for an actor. Like how do you, how do you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Accurately play the truth of the moment or the truths of the moments, um, up until the point where you finally discover now I'm going to give her, now I'm going to return back to my family. Now I'm going to give her up to my family. Um, and I think he does a really good job of playing that. Um, so that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm 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 torn. I think I'm gonna go Emily is probably my MVP. Fair enough. Um just when she actually kills so, those, my God. those two maids, it's just it's and then and then uh, on top of that, after she accidentally kills the second maid with the crossbow. She has the audacity to say, "Why does this always happen to me?" <laughs> or, or, or the the best part from her is when um, I forget I forget exactly, exactly what part it was, but like the dad is like, "What are you doing?" And she, or she like the dad tells her, "Like do this, do this," and she's like, "I don't know what I'm doing." Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's so funny, it's hilarious. And I do like I do love the moment too where she first comes on and she's like, "Oh, Aunt Helene, so good to see you," and she goes, and Aunt Helene goes, "Brown haired niece, you continue to exist." <laughs> that's that's the whole exchange which i thought was really funny um uh, but i think fitch is also really really funny and i i do Big actually time. think that i actually do think that charity is kind of an undersung kind of like 
because she's more of like the serious one of, of the group. Yeah. Um, but she even has her moments. I mean, she fucking shoots her own husband for I know. the family. Jesus. God almighty. Um, and we can't turn down Adam Brody. Uh, he kind of plays like the, Who the does drunken. does a great job in this? He really does. I, I always think he does. I think he's actually kind of an undersung um, actor. I think that, you know, obviously he got his uh, his start on TV and then kind of like was dragged into that role for like a long period of, of yeah. time. Um, and then he finally is, I, I feel like with Jennifer's body and then Scream, what was that? Scream 4, I think. And he's had a couple of other roles where he's finally starting to like claw himself out of like just being that TV actor sure. and like actually showing he has like chops to like actually be a film actor. Um, and I think it really shows in this movie because I think his performance of like really wanting to help her, but also understanding that he can't, he can't participate in helping her, but like right. he's just, tr- he's trying to ride that line. And I, I do think that there's a challenge there with trying to find that in a character. For sure. Um, I think that aunt Helene is hilarious. Uh, when she, when they are at the wedding and she just is scowling in the Staring corner. Staring at her for God's sake. <laughs> my God. And I did put in my notes. I was like, Oh, aunt Helene did not age well because when they show her in the flashback, she's very young and, and pretty. And then in the, in the modern times, she's just very, she has permanent frown lines. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, and you know, like, you know, like, like every other horror film that we discuss, truly, even, you know, the gay bed and breakfast of horror, for God's sake, there's always a little bit of a serious side to everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, with this film, um, you know, the, 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 the underlying message here is, at least for me, is what are the ridiculous traditions that families hold on to that you don't need to hold on to? And how and how toxic are they, and how damaging can they can they really be? And you know that the, there there are questions that this movie raises that I think are are interesting to explore. You know, do you do you if you were faced with a situation like this? And look, hopefully you're never going to be you know tested by the devil to kill people, or you're going to lose your fortune. Um, I hope that that does not happen to you or you, Andrew, nobody else. Um, but like what are the the analogous things that happen in life where you do have to choose between your family and something else or you do have to choose between a tradition that you know you maybe you need to let go and something else um it it it, it hits a little bit deeper as as i think um happens in a, in a lot of horror movies it's it's a genre that is particularly suited to bringing questions like this to the fore well, I mean, and just in what you're talking about, there's a moment in the film where literally um, Emily and uh, Daniel are disposing of the maid's bodies yeah. and they're having a conversation around like, you know, we deserve this. Like we, sure. you know, we, we killed our great uncle or I forget what, what would you call him there? I guess just their uncle. I think um, uncle. Yeah. Um and all this stuff and 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 she goes well do you think my kids deserve this like yeah, and it's sure. there's like a l- little bit of a serious moment there where you're like oh shit but then you also remember that georgie one of her sons just shot samara weaving in the hand like yeah. 20 minutes ago so. because, i mean because because he's being taught about a toxic family tradition or well, you know no, if you go ahead if you if you notice when they first come on screen when that family first comes in they're playing like they're playing right, sure. uh what's his face uh who's the devil guy uh labelle they're playing mr labelle they're like right. kill kill for mr labelle kill kill like they're running sure. around with like the masks on and and weapons so like they're ingrained and in already how this goes like yeah right 
but yeah, it was just interesting this time around, like seeing that. I do think that there are a couple of really funny moments. I thought it was funny when <laughs> when um, Alex is talking to uh, Samara Weaving before, or talking to Grace, excuse me, before they get um, they go down to play the game. He's like, "All right, just meet me in the music room," and she's like, "Ah, yes, a totally normal room in a house." <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. Um, I think there's a really funny exchange between um, the father and Grace, where she's like, "So I I don't really win in this." situation huh and this is before he they she truly understands like the the nature of what's happening uh, but he's like well you could stay hidden until dawn and she's like oh no no we're not gonna do that <laughs> like, <laughs> um, i thought it was funny when um and I, I i understand that when fitch is watching the youtube tutorial on how to use his crossbow <laughs> that's actually the uh directors in that yes, little youtube so good. clip um, but I just thought that that was funny because what would you do? Like if you were handed a crossbow, you'd be like, mm, I bet YouTube would show me how to use this. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it really doesn't make sense. And, and it's, it's so zeitgeisty too. Yeah. Um, I thought that the whole exchange between the OnStar service and Grace is really funny. Um, Which was also the voice of the director. Oh, really? Justin? Uh-huh. Yep. I didn't know that. Um, that, that whole scene where she's like, I need you to call the police. And he's like, Oh, it's showing that this car is reported stolen. I'm going to have to shut you down. And he's like, Oh yeah, Justin, you can go fuck yourself. It's like, all right. And he's like, okay, have a great night. It's just so ridiculous. So good. Um, I did think it was funny that uh, when Alex is talking, I think he's yeah, he's talking to his mother and he's like, you know, I kind of at some moment noticed like chanting and the slitting of a ghost's throat just wasn't quite right. <laughs> but I but then he says, but then I it felt normal for us. And yeah. that was like, that's that's a really interesting way of like thinking about it. Um, um, also, a little bit about the house too, um, where yeah. it's filmed is called Casa Loma in Toronto. Um, it's a heritage property and it's a museum. It's open to the public, so you can take tours of it. Um, I guess, though, a lot of films have been made there. Crimson Peak, The Pacifier, and X-Men. And funny enough, too, uh, I have this down in the trivia. Where'd it go? Um, exterior shots of the mansion from the film, uh, it, which is in Oshawa, were on the same estate grounds used in Billy Madison. Isn't that funny? Oh, huh. So I have to ask you when you since you've not seen this movie, you uh -huh. you didn't know anything about the end when you were going into it, right? I did not know. I I knew nothing about the ending. Thank God. So when you got to the end, and so basically they they've failed to kill her by dawn, uh -huh. and they kind of have that moment where they're like, oh, nothing's happening. Like, what was your what was your like initial thought in that moment? Which where did you think the film was going to take you? A initial thought was it was just all going to be a hoax. Well, and not a hoax, but it was it was all obviously not real. But and and I I thought that right away. But then I was I, my other thought very shortly thereafter was like, well, then what's going to happen? Yeah, I I think that that's I and I think that's where they sub like where the filmmakers really took a fucking swing for the fences Big and time. just exploded all those people. Oh my god, it's um, amazing. Um, I thought it was so I, the the one that's. I think it's kind of like I don't know why they did it this way or maybe they just did it because they want to show kids get blown up they like <laughs> run out of the room and get blown up off and then screen. one two three boom boom <laughs> yeah. boom 
It, you know, like, like it, the, the other part of it too that that's so great about that whole scene is that eventually Samara Weaving starts starts to giggle about it. Yeah, she starts laughing. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, like it it almost does the um the the Florence Pugh at the end of Midsummer Smile. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. the same kind of vibe, but almost even better because she just she's just cracking up watching these people literally explode in front of her. It's so and good. It is, it is so it's it's not just like their heads explode it's not just like their whole they, damn body explodes it's, it's the, and i do think it's funny there's like an a pan out shot towards the end where i think like an ear falls to the ground like yes <laughs> but it's just so ridiculous and god man you know i will say like what you said earlier about alex it really shows in this end because he tries to redeem himself, but it's yeah. you're like, dude, it is you're done, too dude. late. Yeah, like, you're you're out of here. You are fucking out of here, man. You you're just done. stabbed me, and because I moved, you got me in the shoulder. But you just literally tried to sacrifice me for Satan. Like we're not coming back from this. There is no coming back. It's not. And I do happen. like that she. I do like she gets that moment where she's like, "I want a divorce," and as soon as the <laughs> ring hits him, he explodes, which I thought was really good. Um, no, no, then, see, no, that's interesting. Now, why do you think? Because at that point, she is technically part of the family. So, why do you think? Do you think it's because she says, "I want a divorce," that Mister LaBelle doesn't kill her? Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Do you know um, what I mean? Um. Well, I think it's an. I think it's like one or the other. Like you either win, like she wins, or they. Oh yeah, fair enough. So. I mean, there there is the part. So when Mister LaBelle, because I I watched it again today actually, so I've watched it twice now. I'm I'm, I'm just going to buy it. I should have bought it from the beginning. Um, but when Mister LaBelle appears, like like the fire kind of flames up, and then you see yeah. him in the chair. He does give her a head nod. He's kind of yeah. like, mm. and so I didn't know if that was like you won. Or, uh, or, or I spared or, you, or I spared you, or if he was kind of like, "Hey, you kind of fucking rock," you know what I mean? I think it, I think it was kind of like game recognized game type of thing, yeah, you know I mean? right? Totally, and I I kind of dug that at the end. I I, I was into it. Yeah, and I just, then, I and just then of course, and then of course, the classic final line because like the the paramedic is like, "What happened to you, lady? What's going on?" And she just goes in-laws yeah <laughs> like come on that is that's perfect and it just fits so so well yeah i just i just really appreciated that the filmmakers did this that they like just went for it because yeah. i think there is there is another version of this movie where they kind of just are like oh shit we've been doing this all this time and it didn't really matter really and then like well no that's not a real ending but i'm just thinking like oh i, the, I see what you're saying yeah, yeah like the way you were thinking about it like to where they kind of realize oh we fucked up and like how does that ending go um because i feel like that could be an ending to this movie but the way be, that they sure. the way that they just punish those people and just I think it's great <laughs> it's fucking I mean, I mean, how how can you walk away from this film not satisfied yeah exactly all right. Uh, do you want to give our final thoughts and our grade from a one to seven? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually, I up. I listen. I like I said, I'm generous in my old age now. I, I up my score. I gave it a six and a half. I fucking love this movie. I said, what a blast! A nonstop evisceration of the games that families play because of traditions that are toxic to begin with. Love it. Yeah, I need to own this movie. I don't know why I don't already. I saw it in the theater and I should have. But um, I, I, I'm going to give it a six. I said this movie never lets up and Samara Weaving, as well as the rest of the cast, are just perfect in these roles. So that will do it for our horror in the movies. We're going to take our final break and we'll be right back with one final game. And that game is called They Married What? Why was it carried out in international waters? 
because basically it had never been done in the UK and Ireland before. Um, to marry so, a ghost. To marry uh, posthumously, I suppose, is the, is the legal term for it. Someone who's dead and gone. Someone who's dead, exactly. And folks, we have come to the end of episode 94. But before we leave, we have a final game for you. And this is one that I don't know what it's going to be. Andrew has prepared it. And the title of this game is They Married What? So, Andrew, take us through. Yes. So earlier I talked about our friend who married the Eiffel Tower, but there are also several other inanimate objects that people have married over the years. I'm going to give you six different things, and you're going to have to tell me whether or not people married them or not. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Let's go. All right. The first one, I choo-choo-choose you, a guy marries a locomotive. This is not real. This is real. Joaquin A has a thing for the inner workings of technical objects, which is great since he works as a repairman, but not so great for his spouse, a steam locomotive. (laughs) I mean, the the sex must be steamy, you know? (laughs) All right. How about the world's largest ball of twine? Uh, That's... That's like that's just literally unhinged. And it, because it's so unhinged, I'm going to say that it's true. It's not true. I made it up. Sadly, <laughs> sadly, no one has the hots for this tourist trap. Um, how about the sea? Like, like, the, like, like the water. The yeah, sea. the ocean, the sea. Is, is there is there any particular one? Nope, just the sea. True, true. It's true. It is not true. While a popular short story by author Jamie Jordan, there is no record of anyone marrying the sea. Okay. Um, There is a short story called uh, The Woman Who Married the Sea. So that's how I got that. Okay. Got it. (laughs) How about The Berlin Wall? Um... I mean, look, I'm already zero for three. I'm going to say yes. Somebody probably did this. That is true. Oh, yay. Uh, Berliner uh, Maurer says she fell in love with the structure when she saw it on television at age seven. She refers to it as a he and has and she collected his pictures until she could save enough money to visit. On her sixth trip in 1979, they tied the knot before a handful of guests. That is um, that is disturbing. Okay. <laughs> All right. What about a roller coaster? Which which roller coaster? I will not say. Did someone marry a roller coaster? <laughs> I mean, yes, they did. Some, yes. some fucked up weirdo did. <laughs> yes, Amy Wolf Weber is a church organist who comes from Pennsylvania, and she is married to a roller coaster. A church the, organist, my God. The husband in question is an 80-foot gondola ride called 1001 Knots. That is so uh, crazy, but here we are. All right, and then finally, the Grand Canyon. This is true. I remember, I remember hearing this. Not true. While oh, many, really? While many people have tied their knops at nuptials at the Grand Canyon, no one has ever made an honest man oh, or woman man. out of this natural wonder of the world. I, I thought I remember hearing somebody do that, but I guess not. Um, so well, that, that, that does I, it for... They married. What? <laughs> I, got, I got two out of six. Okay, that, that's not bad. But look, people are fucked up, so you never know what they're going to do. Um, Andrew, thank you for bringing us that game. And thank you, listeners, for listening in to our 94th episode. Before we let you go, a few housekeeping items, as always. First off, we are members of the Dread Podcast Network from Dread Central. You can find other great shows on the Dread Podcast Network, like uh, Mick Garris, 
like Kit, uh, Kim and Kat stay alive. Maybe the Boulay brothers, uh, girl, that's scary. Some really great shows. So go have a listen to those. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to support this podcast, you want to support Friday the 13th on a monetary level, because we would appreciate it. Uh, we don't do this. We try not to do this for free, but <laughs> it just depends on how you will look at it. So if you want to support us, you can become a patron on Patreon and you can buy merch by just simply going to Friday13.com support. And as always, friends, um, if you have not yet left a review or if you're new to the show and, and want to give us a review after hearing this episode, we would absolutely really treasure that and appreciate it. Reviews are the ways that people learn about podcasts more than anything else. So if you haven't left a review yet, please go do so. Literally, wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be really helpful. Yeah. And as always, you know, there's a little thing that we encourage you to do at the end of every episode, and that is to get, get slayed. slayed. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.